Woman was not made out of his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. What a good explanation. One of God's purposes for marriage was to provide man with completion. Hi there, and welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We're continuing our series, God's Design for Marriage and Family. We're back in Genesis chapter 2, taking a look at a few of the purposes or reasons that God created and designed marriage, reasons and purposes that we need to adhere to. And as we begin today, we do so with a focus or emphasis on why God created woman. And what's it all about, Alfie, right? With more on the glorious truth of women, here's Pastor Steve. Eve was created to help Adam cultivate and keep the garden. Remember in, in Genesis 2.15, he was commanded to do that, and they say that's the help that she was created for. Another view sees wives as helping by providing support in the widest possible sense. I think the last one really nails it down. Since nowhere does Scripture limit the sphere of the wife helping her husband, I think it's just a general statement. You're to be a helper to your husband. And when you look at the role of the, the wife's help in Proverbs 31, it's huge. I mean, that lady's doing a lot of stuff. She cre she's created as his helper. Now, God does give us some clarification on exactly what this help looks like in Titus 2. We're, we're told, when you look at that, that passage over there in, in uh, verse 3, um, it, it, it's, it's Paul talking to Titus, and he says that the older women are living a certain way, and older women, back then, basically anybody over 60. So sorry, if you're over 60, in the Bible, you're considered an old, older woman. That's, that's kind of standard. And it says that the older women are to encourage or literally train the younger woman. That's what you're called to do. Younger women being under 60. So we have both gamuts here, even in our small little church. We have women that are over 60. We have women who are under 60. The biblical model was for the women who are over 60, the older women, they should be training the younger women in life and godliness. Well, how do they do that? It tells us right there in Titus 2, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. I mean, that's pretty clear. Even over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul makes the same point to Timothy in verse 14 of 1 Timothy 5. He says, therefore, I want younger widows to get married. Okay, these are women who have lost their husband, they're widowed, their husband passed, their husband died, and they're still at a young age. He says, I want them to get married, to bear children, to keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. See, today in our society, unfortunately, too many wives are pursuing their own interests. They're giving up the concept of helping their husbands, and they're pursuing their own interests. They're pursuing their own careers. And sadly, unfortunately, many husbands 
are kind of doubling down on that, encouraging their wives in their self-serving interests for economic reasons, especially here in the Bay Area. Usually both people in the household have to work just for cost. But I don't want you to misunderstand what Paul or what I am saying here this morning. Because women, wives, are more than capable of pursuing careers. Very gifted, very able. They're more than capable of pursuing their own interests. I'm just saying that's not what God designed is. That's not what God's design is. I'm not saying, and I don't believe Paul is saying here, he's not saying that you can never, under any circumstances, work outside the home. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I'm simply saying that when you read these passages, it's pretty clear that God's design is that you build your own life helping your husband. That you not build your own life separate from that within the confines of marriage. The wife's first priority in life is to be a helper to her husband. Whether that looks, you know, it can take different forms. Maybe she takes on training the children or running the family business, whatever it is, keeping home, serving alongside her husband in ministry, whatever it might be. But that should be the focus of your life, even if you have a job. See, it's not saying you can't work outside the home. But I've seen a lot of families crumble quickly because what happens? Dad's working 24-7. Because of financial strain, mom's working 24-7. Well, who watches the kids? Well, they're farmed out to some daycare somewhere. And then, you know, everybody comes home at night, and usually mom and dad are so bushed, there's no relationship thing going on at all. And it, it just doesn't work. That's not God's ideal. So if you want to do that, ladies, that's fine. But realize your first priority is in the home. Just because you have a job doesn't give you an excuse to have a dirty house. Put it bluntly. That's irrelevant. That's, that's what the scriptures are saying. Like I said, sometimes men, we add to this because we, we goof up our own priorities. And sometimes we need that second income. I get it. But that's not God's ideal. Um, Because it's going to harm your family in the long run. She should, and she was created by God to be a helper to you as her husband. Now there's another warning here I want to include in this because you can take this to the extreme, right? As anything. Husbands, the fact that God designed marriage for your wife to assist you, to help you, that does not mean that she's your personal slave. That's not what that means. I remember hearing a country western song. went like this. Put another log on the fire. Cook me up some bacon and some beans. Go out to the car and change the tire. Darn my socks and sew my old blue jeans. Fetch my shoes and then go fix my supper. And fix me up another pot of tea. Just put another log on the fire, baby. Then come and tell me why you're leaving me. (laughs) Gee, really? That's not the idea behind being a helper to your husband. Just to be clear. So the first purpose of marriage is what? It's relationship. The second 
God designed marriage for help. Well, the third purpose here is completion. Verse 18, completion. Look at what it says back in Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper, what? Suitable for him. Suitable for him. The word suitable translates a Hebrew compound word. It's a prepositional phrase. Literally, it says this. I'm going to make a helper as in front of him. Or like the opposite of him. Expression is found here only in the Old Testament. It literally means corresponding to or exactly corresponding. And I think the intention of these words is very similar to the expression male and female back in 127 of Genesis. I made them male and female. They're exactly corresponding to each other. Now, this has far-reaching implications when it comes to understanding God's purpose for marriage. The first implication is that he made them male and female. This is fundamental to understanding God's design for marriage, that it's for male and female. Marriage is for Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Okay, it's very simple. But our society doesn't want that. They can go have their relationships, but don't call it marriage. Because that's not what marriage is. It's never been that. But there's another obvious conclusion here. And that is that God designed marriage for one man and one woman. Period. Now, you look in the Old Testament, obviously, there was people who had a lot more than one wife. Uh, Polygamy was tolerated in the Old Testament. But it was never God's divine intention. And whenever you see polygamy run rampant in the Old Testament, it never ends well. Never. Flipping through the channels one day and saw this show about, I guess they're Mormons. They have a bunch of wives. It's like, what in the world is this? And you see this drama and issues. I've never, you know... I don't know. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I can't even handle my one wife, let alone two or three. I mean, oh my gosh. Wow, are you kidding me? That's not God's design. Jesus makes that very clear in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 10, for example, in verse 7, he says the two shall become what? One flesh. He doesn't say the three or the four. They are no longer two, but one flesh. The obvious is, is plain and simple for anybody to see. God didn't create a harem for Adam. He created one woman. But there's more in the Genesis passage here. By saying that God made mankind male and female, and then by adding in verse 18 of chapter 2 of Genesis that they complement each other or exactly correspond God, really, he's underscoring the intrinsic quality, equality of men and women. This is so important. People miss this. It's true that man existed prior to woman. But don't get too prideful, men. (laughs) They were created in the same day. (laughs) Okay, so it wasn't that much prior to 
And Paul makes the point in several places in the New Testament. The man is the head. The wife is the helper. Specific roles. But that doesn't deny spiritual equality that exists between men and women. Paul couldn't make it clearer than he did in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. What's he say? He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. You know this verse, right? There's neither slave nor free. There's neither what? Male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, spiritually, all of those external distinctions, whether you're Jew or or Greek or slave or free or male or female, have been erased when it comes to the body of Christ. There is absolutely intrinsic equality before God. And the verse we read earlier in 1 Peter 3, the wives are called fellow heirs along with the men of the grace of life. So just because you've been given the role to be helpers to your husbands, that doesn't mean that you're a notch below them. Don't believe that at all. Even within the members of the Trinity, there is submission the son to the father, and marriage reflects the image of God. We are spiritually equal before God, but we have been assigned, look at it this way, different roles in marriage. And when you mess those roles up, that's when you create chaos. Um, Back in Genesis 2, verse 18, God determines that he is going to make a helper suitable corresponding to Adam. And then in verse 19, it tells us What's he do? Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. I mean, think about some of the names of some of the God's creation. You know, I mean, it's just crazy. Boy, Adam really had had a good imagination. I mean, could you think of a platypus as anything other than a platypus? I mean, it's just weird, you know. I mean, I know that's English, but still, it's just a, it would be a kind of an interesting task to have. But what does this do? It allows Adam to come to the same conclusion to which God had already come. And God brings Adam those animals that were probably in the closest proximity and the most likely to be candidates for companionship. And he says he brought the birds and cattle Cattle kind of refers to domesticated animals, beasts of the field, probably a reference to small little wild animals that live near the humans. He examines all those, and guess what? His search was fruitless. He didn't find one, didn't find a companion. He gave them all names, but he couldn't find a companion. Adam had to discern their natures, and he had to study them, and that's expressed when he gave them their name. He just didn't say, next, you know, okay, I'll call you this, I'll call you that. No, he looked at it and discerned what, what he would call it. And in that process, he, dis- he discovers that there weren't any other cre- creatures, creatures that God had created along that shared his nature. He was alone. He was by himself. And once Adam realized that he was alone, just as God had already realized that, he knew that, He was ready for God to meet that need. And in verse 21, it tells us you have God's creation of woman. The whole account is similar to poetry. Verse 21, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place and the Lord fashioned 
Just that word fashioned. Incredible word. In a, into a woman, the rib which he had taken out from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So Adam slept. God fashioned the rib into a woman. Um, the story of the Sunday school they were teaching how God created everything, and including human beings. And uh, little Johnny, uh, a child in the kindergarten class, seemed especially intent when they told him how Eve was created out of Adam's rib. Well, later in the week, as Johnny was home, his mother noticed him lying down as if he were ill. And she said, Johnny, what's the matter? Johnny responded, I don't feel well, Mom. I think I'm having a wife. (laughs) Just kind of funny. That word fashioned, formed, by the way, it's a rare word. It literally means to build. God built a woman. Now, there are two questions here that arise from this passage. One of them is how God made the woman. Why did he take the part of man to do it as the rib. Why did he do that? Well, the answer is obvious. And that is that God wanted Adam and Eve both to know that she was made of his same substance. She wasn't inferior in any way, bone of his bones, as he said down in verse 23. And God used Adam, he used part of Adam to picture the reality that she truly is his complement. She's part of him. But ask yourself, why a rib? And there's been a lot of discussion about this, a lot of ink spilled over that. But I like what Matthew Henry said. He said this, Woman was not made out of his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. What a good explanation. One of God's purposes for marriage was to provide man with completion. Someone who exactly corresponds to him. Now, the practical implications of this are huge. I mean, you've probably looked at the book or read the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. There's differences. We're not the same. Guys, if you've ever been tempted to think, I just wish you were more like I am, less emotional to your wife. Well, that's not going to happen. That's not how God created her. Or there are wives who wish their husbands were more sensitive or more understanding. That their husbands would discover their, their, as the culture says, feminine side. Listen, guys, you don't need to discover your feminine side. If you're married, you already have one. It's called your wife, okay? So just let it rest there. The differences here are that we are complementing each other, perfectly corresponding designed by God to make a complete package. We don't need to re-engineer each other. We just need to be committed to what God has called us to do, to live together for his glory. So God's purpose for marriage was to provide relationship, to provide hope or help, (laughs) um, but also to provide complement, completion. Let me ask you this. Do you find yourself wishing your spouse were more like you? Or wish 
somehow that you could remanufacture your spouse, maybe to make your husband a little more emotional or a little more feeling-oriented, or maybe your wife more masculine so she would think more like you. If you're thinking that, if you're even thinking that, you need to repent. You need to ask God forgiveness. I mean, he's the one that created us, and he created us just the way we are. Thank God for the differences in your spouse. Thank God for the way that you correspond to each other in every sense. Because our marriages have a divine purpose. And that purpose is fleshed out in Genesis 2. For relationship, for help, for completion. I pray that those, those words describe your marriage. Douglas Wilson in his little book, Reforming Marriage, wrote this. If we might paraphrase the words of the catechism, the chief end of marriage is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Father, we thank you for the institute of marriage. We thank you for our spouses. Lord, we thank you that you have entrusted to us our roles within the marriage relationship. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't seek to change that, but we would seek to conform, that we would mold ourselves to that image. And Lord, I know that in the society we live in, this just goes straight against what we're told on every corner. And yet it's your word. It's, it's complete. And I think when we do things in God's way, in a way that honors you, you will give us success and we'll see blessings in our marriages, in our relationships. And so, Father, we pray that you would uh, continue to lead us and guide us. Help us to be husbands that desire to serve our wives in a way that uh, the Bible describes us to. And wives, I pray that you would be a help, helper to your husbands in the way that the Bible describes that role as well. And Father, we, we look forward to the coming weeks as we delve into more of these roles and what it means to not just be in a marriage, but also to raise children and to be a family. And Lord, we just pray that you would lead us and guide us. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, because that's the first relationship of importance in your life. Um, if you don't have a relationship with God through Christ then you're going to have a tough time with all your relationships. Because our sin has violated that relationship. Our sin broke that relationship with God. And yet God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross to take upon himself the penalty of our sin. And when we turn from our sin to the Savior and ask for his forgiveness and tell him that we desire to live for him, not for ourselves anymore, that we want to follow Christ with all of our being, then he'll forgive you of your sin. He'll restore that relationship with your God and creator. And you'll understand this purpose that we've been talking about even here this morning in relationship and love. And you'll understand it through his grace and his mercy. And it's as simple as crying out to him, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me in my, my life. Help me even in my unbelief. Give me that desire to pursue you and you alone. And as believers, I just pray that we'd continue to trust in you to build our marriages and to 
lives that would be honoring and glorifying to you. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app. New and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City-CA. Or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org, and follow the prompts. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Graceful Truth is the ministry of Grace Bible Church in Redwood City.